Welcome to Morning Soap. At Fusion Church, our desire is to see everyone attend church and hear from God daily through His Word. The Bible reveals God's responses to various situations, and through daily devotions, we can reshape our thought patterns, transform our minds, and become more Christ-like. Join us here every Monday through Friday as different pastors and leaders from Fusion Church provide insightful devotions and teachings based on the day's scripture. For the current SOAP reading plan, visit fusionchurch.cc soap and join us as we deepen our understanding and relationship with God. So let's pray. Father, uh, we thank you for the privilege. Number one, you've given us uh, another day of life. And we thank you for that gift, Lord. Uh, we come today, Lord, just to want to draw close to you through your scriptures, uh, to meet you in a brand new way. Uh, so, Holy Spirit, we know you're the one that inspired these scriptures many, many years ago. And we're asking that you would breathe on them, Holy Spirit, make them alive in our spirits. And I just pray, Lord, that you would apply to each of us that portion of Daniel 7, that you want to highlight for us that we need to not only hear, but put into action. So Lord, we come with an expectant heart to meet you. And I just thank you for each of my brothers and sisters, Lord, that you would allow us to fellowship, uh, not only with you, but with each other. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, let's go into Daniel 7. <clears throat> The first year of Balthazar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions in his mind as he lay on his bed. Then he wrote the dream down and related the following summary of it. Daniel said, I was looking in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea, and four great beasts were coming up from the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion and had the wings of an angel. I kept looking until its wings were plucked and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man. A human mind also was given to it. Behold, another beast, a second one resembling a bear, and it was raised up on one side and three ribs were in its mouth between its teeth. And thus they said to it, Arise, devour much meat. After this, I kept looking, and behold, another one, like a leopard, which had on its back four wings of a bird. The beast also had four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this, I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrifying and extremely strong. It had large iron teeth. It devoured and crushed and trampled down the remainder with its feet. And it was different from all the beasts that were before it. And it had 10 horns. While I was contemplating the horns, behold, another horn, a little one, came up among them. And three of the first horns were pulled out by the roots before it. Behold, this horn possessed eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth uttering great boasts. I kept looking until the thrones were set up, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His vesture was like white snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was ablaze with flames, its wheels 
were a burning fire. A river of fire was flowing and coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands were attending him, and myriads upon myriads were standing before him. The court sat, and the books were opened. Then I kept looking. Because of the sound of the boastful words which the horn was speaking, I kept looking until the beast was slain, and its body was destroyed and given to the burning fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but an extension of life was granted to them for an appointed period of time. <clears throat> I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming. And he came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. As for me, Daniel, my spirit was distressed within me. The visions of my mind kept alarming me. I approached one of those who were standing by and began asking him the exact meaning of all this. So he told me and made me know the interpretation of these things. These four beasts, which are four in number, are four kings who will rise from the earth. But the saints of the highest one will receive the kingdom and possess his kingdom forever for all ages to come. Then I desired to know the exact meaning of the fourth beast, which was different from all the others, exceedingly dreadful, with its teeth of iron, its claws of bronze, which devoured, crushed, and trampled down the remainder with its feet. And the meaning of the ten horns that were on its head, and the other horn which came up, and before which three of them fell, namely, the horn which had eyes and a mouth uttering great boasts, and which is larger in appearance than its associates. I kept looking, and that horde was waging war with the saints and overpowering them, until the Ancient of Days came, and judgment was passed in favor of the saints of the highest one. And the time arrived when the saints took possession of the kingdom. Thus he said, the fourth beast will be a fourth kingdom on the earth, which will be different from all the other kingdoms, and it will devour the whole earth and tread it down and crush it. As for the ten horns, out of this kingdom ten kings will rise, another will arise after them, and he will be different from the previous one, and will subdue three kings. And he'll speak out against the Most High, and wear down the saint to the highest one. And he will intend to make alterations in times and laws, and they will be given into the hand for a time, times, and half a time. But the court will sit for judgment. And his dominion will be taken away, annihilated, and destroyed forever. Then the sovereignty, the dominion, and the greatness of all the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be given to the people of the saints of the highest one. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all the dominions will serve and obey him. At this point, the revelation ended. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts were greatly alarming me. And my face grew pale, but I kept the matter to myself. Amen. Just reading this through myself, it just struck me, uh, and this isn't 
in my notes here per se, but it keeps saying Daniel kept looking over and over and over and over. He kept looking from a physical world into an invisible world. And it just struck me, you know, we need to have our spiritual eyes open. Uh, we may not have the same kind of vision here that Daniel did, uh, but I believe God wants to speak to us. And I believe he wants to open our spiritual eyes, even as we do the scripture today, and open our spiritual ears. We have these senses because I believe God is a God who wants to communicate and he wants to guide his people, you and I. So let's let's have open eyes and open ears. So in chapter two, back a little ways, uh, we saw that Daniel interpreted a dream for King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. And in that dream, basically, uh, God told Nebuchadnezzar, hey, there's, there's your kingdom, Babylon, but Nebuchadnezzar, after you, there's going to be three other kingdoms. One is the Medes and the Persians. Two is Greece. And three is Rome. And that was kind of like the thrust of chapter two. Now we almost have a repeat of that same kind of theme, but with some alterations in Daniel 7. Same idea. Uh, there's going to be your kingdom, and it's a new king here, uh, Balthazar, not Nebuchadnezzar. But he's saying to Balthazar, guess what? Again, there's Babylon, but there's going to be three other kingdoms they're going to follow. And he also says, not only does he talk about kingdoms, he talks about the four kings that are going to reign over these kingdoms. Uh, so, uh, again, uh, as we look at this to, to kind of unpack it, uh, the vision here is beast instead of a statue. And if we look carefully, uh, the first beast is the lion. Uh, and that represents Babylon. Uh, church historians have pretty much unpacked who these different beasts are. So the lion <laughs> represents Babylon. The bear represents the Medes and the Persians. And the leopard represents Greece. And then we come on this very interesting uh, fourth beast, uh, kind of a, a really uh, overbearing and very powerful beast. Look at seven. And this I kept looking in the night visions. And here, behold, a fourth beast. And it's a tough looking beast, dreadful and terrifying and extremely strong. And it had large iron teeth. It devoured and crushed, trampled down the remainder with its feet. And it was different from all the beasts that were before it. And it had 10 horns. So we know this beast, if you look at church history, represents Rome. That's coming down the road into the future. It represents Rome. Uh, if you look at verse 23, uh, it's a very, very powerful kingdom, stronger than all the others. If you look at verse 23, it says the fourth beast will be a fourth kingdom, that's Rome on the earth, which will be different from all the other kingdoms, and it will devour the whole earth. And Rome pretty much in that day pretty much was overseeing the entire world. It will devour the whole earth and will tread it down. <clears throat> we know, too, uh, that it has... 10 horns. And okay, what are the 10 horns of Rome? If you look at verse 24, as for the 10 horns, 
out of this kingdom, 10 kings will arise. Okay, those 10 horns of Rome represent 10 different succeeding kings. And another will arise after them. And he'll be different from the previous one. And we'll sit down the three. Okay, who is this, this last king that's going to kind of run the show, you might say? Look at verse 25. And he, that, that king, will speak out against the most high. And we're going to see this king is brazen and arrogant. He's going to speak out against the most high and wear down the saints of the highest. And it says, again, he'll do some other things trying to alter the time. Um, but we know a little bit more about this beast. <clears throat> if you look at verse 8, we're kind of jumping around to, to put the pieces of the puzzle. This beast is the Antichrist, okay? This is before Jesus comes back. The Antichrist has to show up. And there's going to be an amazing battle between the Lord and his saints and the Antichrist, but a little bit more about him, verse 8. Was contemplating the horns, behold, another horn, a little one, that's the Antichrist, came up among them, and three of the first horns were pulled out by the roots before it. And behold, the horn possessed eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth uttering great boasts. <clears throat> so the Antichrist boasts. He thinks he is going to be all-powerful, all-ruling. And he gets that same spirit from Satan himself. If you know, Satan was filled with pride and boastfulness. And because of that, he was literally kicked out of heaven. So we, we get this picture <clears throat> of these kingdoms as we're looking into the future. And that's really at our future at this point, uh, because Rome's gone, but the Antichrist is coming in our future. But guess what's going to happen? Uh, when that Antichrist touches the earth, there's going to be uh, a defeat of the Antichrist. Look, if you would, at verse 21. I kept looking, and that horn, that's the Antichrist, was waging war with the saints and overpowering them. Until, until the Ancient of Days came, okay, the Ancient of Days is God the Father. And judgment was passed in favor of the saints of the highest one. And the time arrived when the saints took possession of the kingdom. And it's repeated again in verse 26. But the court, okay, God's court, God's going to make justice. He's going to judge the Antichrist, and he's going to judge Satan, who's fueling the Antichrist. It's about the judge will sit for judgment, the court. And his dominion, referring <clears throat> to the Antichrist and Satan, will be taken away. It'll be annihilated and destroyed forever. And then it says here, here's the bottom line. Here's how history will end. Then the sovereignty, the dominion, and the greatness of the kingdoms <clears throat> under the whole heaven will be given to the people, the saints of the highest one. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom. That's the kingdom of Christ. And all the dominions will serve and will obey him. So, <clears throat> excuse me, that's the overview. Basically, through the dream, God is sharing with Daniel and to us this overview of history. And obviously, 
Babylon, the Medes and Persians, Greece and Rome, that's back there. But this projection into the future of the Antichrist is to come. And the good news, we win. Okay. And we're going to look a little bit at the book of Revelation uh, because that book has a big exclamation. It says, hey, there's a battle, but God ultimately wins that battle for us. So Daniel's depicting what's going to happen in our visible, tangible, historical, historical world. He's seeing what's happening in time and space. But we need to realize behind the visible world is an invisible world that's calling the shots. And I think it's so cool. And that's where I want to I want to emphasize and look at today, not so much the physical, but to realize behind this physical world that we see around us, there is an invisible world. And by this way, there's somebody in that invisible world that's calling the shots in this visible world. The invisible is more important than the visible. God's more important than what we're seeing with our eyeballs here on this earth. So Daniel's given this amazing privilege by the grace of God, literally, to see into another dimension. He sees literally heaven. He, he leaves earth for a period of time, and God says, let me, let me pull the curtains away, and I want you to see what's behind this visible world. And God begins to show him. And that's where I want to really focus because I think that's so, so powerful. So look at Daniel 7. Here's the invisible world. Daniel gets to peer into it. And verse 9, and here's what Daniel begins to see. He says, I kept looking until thrones were set up. And the Ancient of Days took his seat. The Ancient of Days, uh, basically, is God the Father. The Ancients of Days took his seat. Uh, and basically, it says here, his vesture was like white snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. And when you see the Ancient of Days, God the Father, he's portrayed here uh, with hair of, basically, white wool and it says his vesture his whole appearance is like white snow so the white represents the holiness the pure unadulterated holiness of god totally separated from the polluted world that we live in but living in an, a realm of absolute purity without any defilement without any defect and we know uh, as we look at that carefully uh, that what Daniel saw here, John saw in the book of Revelation. And what I think is so neat is they coincide. They don't conflict. And that's the beauty, I think, of the scriptures. They really do not conflict. They may look that way, but really, if you look at them, they coincide with each other. So what's interesting, what Daniel sees in the invisible world, in a sense, John, in the book of Revelation, as he gets the curtains pulled away, sees the same thing. <clears throat> in Revelation chapter 4, let me pull this one up. Uh, in Revelation chapter 4 <clears throat> and verse 
Uh, let me think here. Verse 3, Revelation 4.3. It says, he who was sitting was like a jasper stone. A jasper stone is like pure, unadulterated crystal. It would be almost like looking at a diamond ring as the facets sparkle. Uh, again, uh, John's saying that, that the father sitting on the throne is sparkling almost like a diamond. Uh, and he goes a little bit further. He refers not only to the father, but John also sees Jesus. And it's interesting, Jesus mirrors the same exact personality of the father. Why not? Two or one, right? But when <clears throat> Jesus shows up, uh, it says this uh, in regards to how he looked, Revelation 1.14, and his head, Jesus, and his hair were here as like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze when it had been caused to glow in a furnace. His voice was like the sound of many waters. So again, when you're seeing this vision back in Daniel, you're basically seeing that the father and the son dwell in this unbelievable world of pure holiness. In fact, there's four angels around that throne and all they do day and night and they say, holy, holy, holy. And I know somebody said to me at one point, boy, that must get old for centuries. You know, you know, like every moment, every day for like, doesn't that get old? But I like what one commentator said that made sense to me. It's like God says to the angels, let me show you my holiness. And they say, holy, holy, holy. And God says, let me peel another layer away. Let me really show you some more. And they say, wow, holy, holy, holy. It's like God is progressively over and over showing them more and more of himself. And many <clears throat> by biblical scholars believe when we get to heaven that we are going to see for eternity more and more and more and more and more of God. God's going to say, let me show you more. And I'll pull the the uh, blinders away and show you more and more and more and more and more. So basically, uh, God the Father and Son are both described with kind of like the whiteness and the holiness. Also in verse 9, <clears throat> we see uh, that the Father is sitting on a throne, okay? His throne uh, was ablaze with flames. Its wheels were a burning fire. And what's interesting, again, I just love the way these coordinate back to Revelation. And if you look at Revelation chapter 4, 2, uh, you can just jot this down. We don't have time for you to flip around. But Revelation 4, 2, it says immediately, John says, I was in the spirit. And behold, here it is, a throne standing in heaven and one sitting on the throne. They both, Daniel and John, see the exact same throne. Uh, and it says here in verse 5 in Revelation chapter 4, And from the throne proceeded flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. <clears throat> What's interesting, too, if you're looking at that throne, it says, verse 10, A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. So before the throne, <clears throat> excuse me, there's this fire kind of flowing out. And if you look at Revelation chapter 4, 6, it says, Before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. 
and in the center around the throne, four living creatures, full of eyes. So again, this proceeding from the throne, same picture is given to both of them. We go a little bit further, uh, midway through verse 10, thousands upon thousands were attending him. And myriads upon myriads were standing before him. So who's that? That's all these angels that are falling down and worshiping the Father and the Son. That's what Daniel sees. But guess what? John sees the same thing in Revelation chapter 5. And in verse 11, he says this. Behold, I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels <clears throat> around the throne, and the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them, here it is, was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. <clears throat> Excuse me. So again, same picture, throne, all these angels worshiping, and John actually jumps in and says, hey, now we get a picture too of not only the Father on the throne, but we get a picture of Jesus, because in Revelation 5, 12, it says this, and a, a loud voice said, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And we're going to see that in just a little bit. Because this vision carries on for Daniel. And Daniel's not only going to see the father and the throne. Uh, he's also going to see Jesus. Okay. So, uh, again, toward the end of 10, the court sat. Okay. God the Father's in judgment. The books were opened. Then I kept looking, and because of the sound of the boastful words, which the horn was speaking, that's the Antichrist, I kept looking until the beast, the Antichrist, was slain, and its body was destroyed and given to the burning fire. In other words, is Satan going to end? Where's the beast going to end? The Antichrist, they're going to be in hell forever, separated from God. But that's not the end of the vision, because the vision, I believe, keeps on going. Daniel sees, and then he says, I keep looking. And as he, he, he looks, he gets the next phase of the vision. Look at verse 13. I kept looking in the night visions. And behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming. Who's the son of man? We just saw it. Jesus, the son. And that's so cool. He's looking, and literally, way back in the Old Testament, Daniel looks, and he sees not only God the Father, he sees God the Son. Behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like the Son of Man was coming, and he came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And what happened from the Father and the Son? And to him, Jesus was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. It's all going to be about Jesus at the end of time. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. It's all these other kingdoms, they came, they went. The kingdom of Jesus, it's going to go on forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which will not pass away. And his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. Uh, and he kind of wraps this up in verse 27. Then the sovereignty, and I'm going to talk about that in, in a moment. That's the key point to me of the lesson. Then 
the sovereignty, the dominion, and the greatness of all the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be given to the people of the saints of the highest one. That would be you and I, okay? Jesus is going to reign, but not only is he going to reign, we're going to reign with him. And it says, his kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all the dominions will serve and obey him. Okay. So bottom line, what's the deal? So far, we know an Antichrist is coming. We also know that Jesus is going to overcome the Antichrist, and he's going to set up his kingdom. And you and I can be part of that kingdom as we put our trust in Christ. And we're going to reign with him forever in heaven in an unbelievable state of perfect love, perfect peace, and perfect joy. So what I think that personally speaks to me is there is a throne, brothers and sisters, and a throne means somebody is calling the shots. Somebody is calling the shots. There's a throne in the invisible world. We can't see it with these eyes right here, but there's a throne out there, and God is sitting on that throne, and he's organizing and revealing and releasing his supernatural kingdom on this planet. And that he is absolutely in control. As it says, he's absolutely, in verse 27, sovereign. He's calling the shots and nobody, nobody, even all of the demonic powers and even Satan himself cannot stop God's plan from being fully accomplished on this planet. What that says to me is this idea of the Ukraine did not get God by surprise. The idea of what happened in Palestine, what's going on now, that God didn't say, oh, my word, golly, I missed that. I slipped up on. No, God knew about this before Hamas sent the first missile over to Israel. God knew that that would happen. In fact, he knows every piece of information to the end of time. He knows everything that's going to happen in the future of the universe. He knows everything that's going to happen to everybody on the screen. He knows every tiny detail, every tiny detail in each of us. So the point I really hear is that not only does God have a plan for the planet, which he does, but God has a plan for every single one of us on this screen. And everybody outside of here, there's nobody that can say, well, I'm just kind of mumbling my way through life. I hope maybe there's something good for me, some plan. The Bible is extremely clear. God has a plan for history, but God has a plan specifically for each and every one of us. And the good news is it is a good plan. I remember reading a book and somebody said this, nothing can happen to your life unless it first passes through God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Let me say it again. Nothing can touch your life unless God gives permission. He is sovereign. Nothing can touch you unless he gives permission. That being the case, some people may be saying, well, 
I mean, that's not a good picture. God, if nothing can happen unless you permit it, you're allowing some really bad stuff to come into my life. What's the deal? And a lot of people wrestle, and I'm sure each of us at some point in our lives have wrestled. Lord, if you're sovereign, you're calling the shots. Nothing can happen unless you permit it. Lord, you're allowing some really heavy-duty bad stuff in my life. I think when those thoughts roll around in our mind, <laughs> Satan would love us to doubt the character of God. Satan would like us to throw in our faith, um, just like he did with Adam and Eve. He would try to distort the image of God to us. He'd cause us to want to doubt God's love, doubt God's goodness. But I think as we read the Bible, the Bible shouts that God loves us and he's for us. And you might say, how do I know that for sure? In time and space and history, God came in human flesh and died on a cross, literally in history, to prove that he's for us, that he's not against us. So we have to be extremely clear in our hearts, not, not just in our brains, but deep here in our hearts, that we have to believe that God loves us. And I believe he's proven that in the Bible and different stories that are given, but particularly in the life, the death, and the resurrection of Christ. And we need to know not only that God loves us, but we need to know God's good. And we need to believe that if he's good, he always has our best in mind. And that no matter what he may permit in our lives, if he permits it, then he's trying to bring something good out of it. And there's the challenge for each of us. What do we do when the hard times collide, when things don't make sense, when we can't find God, when we can't feel him, where we can't seem to get our, our bearings? Um, uh, as the sermon series has been going, when the winds are blowing really heavy hard and you feel like you've been hit by a tornado, what do you do? And I think that gets back to the character of God again. We need to ask ourselves, do I really believe that God's sovereign? Okay. Do I really believe God's loving? Do I really believe that God's good and that he only wants what's best? These are important questions. And I think, you know, we can rattle off, oh, yeah, yeah, I believe that. But it's not just in the brain. It's do you believe it in the depths of your heart? So what's God looking for? Well, I think he's looking for hearts that love him fully. The first commandment in the entire Bible is love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your mind, and your soul. More than your service for God more than anything you can do for him, before anything he wants, he wants your love. If you want to know what's going to bring the greatest pleasure to God, it's just falling in love with him. And we can do that because the Bible says in 1 John, we love God because he first loved us. And we need to ponder the Bible where we see so often God shows his love and particularly how he shows his love in the life of Jesus. So I think that that is so important. God wants us to love him and to develop this tremendous intimate walk with him as our God, but also as our closest friend. I think what God also wants 
is our surrender. To say, Lord, I know you've got a good plan for my life. Lord, I'm willing to surrender and let you do that. You see, God may have a good plan. He has a good plan for every life, but not everybody has a good plan worked out in their life. Why? Because some people are obstinate and stubborn, and they want to run their own show. And therefore, even though God has a good plan, he's not going to violate their free will. So we, in a sense, can short circuit God's best by bad attitudes. So we need to love him. If we want to see his best plan worked out, we need to love him. We need to be able to surrender to him. And, and you might ask yourself, I need to ask myself the question too, uh, why am I afraid to fully surrender my life to the Lord? I mean, ask that question. Have I let go everything? And if I haven't, why? What, what am I holding on to? What am I afraid of? Maybe we can't surrender fully because we're not quite sure who he is. Is God really loving? Is God really good? Or maybe we won't surrender because we still think running the show, we're going to have a happier life than if we surrender our lives. But I think it's important to ask ourselves, okay, am I fully surrendered to the Lord and his plan? Or am I holding back? And if I'm holding back, what's getting in the way? And then the other thing, not only do we need to love him with our hearts and surrender, the last thing he calls us to do is to trust him to trust him that he has a good plan and that if I hand my life over to him, he's going to work out that amazing plan for me. And I, I would underline this one. You know, I've wrestled with it. I know many Christians have. We say, okay, God, I trust you, but it's a mental trust. But do we really, really trust him in our hearts deep down? And I was thinking the other day, if we really had that childlike trust, I mean, think about it, no matter what would be coming in, if you really believed, and I underlined really, 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 if you really believe that God's loving and that he's good and he wants your best and he has all wisdom and all knowledge and he knows how to orchestrate the perfect plan for your life, if we really, really believe that, would we not have a lot more peace and joy? Because we'd be totally confident that God's doing something good, even if we don't understand it at the moment. So that would be uh, kind of like the bit of a challenge as we're going into this new year. Remember, there's somebody running the show. That's God. And even though the nations look all messed up and the world really does look all messed up, when you think of Ukraine and you look at Israel, now you hear the other situations in Lebanon or Yemen, or it's just like all over. Then you look at our nation, it looks all jumbled up. God's still on the throne, folks, and he's going to work his plan out. We need to trust that. And I believe that removes a lot of fear of the future because God knows what he's doing. But not only do we need to trust that he's working out his plan in the world, we need to know he's going to work out his plan for each of us. And as we fully love him and yield and trust him, I believe we can have an abundant life, even as we've heard in the sermon series, even when the winds are blowing, God's still in control and he loves us and he wants only what's best for us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Daniel 
7. We thank you, Lord, that you pulled the way, um, Lord, the, the curtain, you might say, for Daniel. He saw into another dimension. And we know, Lord, it's amazing you did that for Ezekiel. Uh, you did that for Isaiah. They saw into the invisible world. We know, Lord, uh, that John in the book of Revelation saw the invisible world. And we thank you, Father, on that world. We see a throne. And we know, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you reign. And there's no accidents in your kingdom. And we know you're going to bring history to its fulfillment. And then ultimately, you're going to defeat the Antichrist and you will establish your kingdom forever and ever. And Father, I just pray that you'd help each of us to be part of bringing that kingdom on the earth. And I know, Lord, each of us can be part of that as we trust you, as we love you, as we surrender you to you. Lord, just, just use us, Lord, uh, and remind us on a daily basis that you have a good plan for each of us. And that as you look into the future, Lord, it's not a future that you're trying to make very uh, miserable or a future that is totally confused, but you have a, a good plan, you said in your word. Uh, and help us, Lord, by your grace, the walk into that good plan. So put your blessing on each of my brothers and sisters. And Father, we thank you for guiding us this day and throughout this new year. And it's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Have a great day, folks. God bless you all. We'll see you soon.